This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Well, the 2023 Lower Mainland Property Assessments have just been released, and if you own a home, you can see what it's worth. There's a little controversy this year, though, since real estate prices have been on a downward trajectory for most of the year. And these valuations are based on last July, before all the interest rate hikes. So what does that mean for you? Well, I'm Martin Strong, and on this edition of Vancouver Consumer, we'll talk to Dan Jones from Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. That's coming up. But first, some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. Sony is getting into the car business. The electronics company has unveiled a new high-tech prototype sedan that it will produce in partnership with Honda. The vehicle, first announced in October, glided out on stage at the Consumer Electronics Show this week in Las Vegas. Uh, The car is called the Afila. The CEO of Sony Honda Mobility says the company expects to take pre-orders in the first half of 2025 and deliver the first cars to customers in North America in spring of 2026, so just about three years from now. They didn't get into too many specifics about the car. It looks very sleek. It's a sleek sedan. They say it will feature very advanced safety and driver assistance systems from Honda, along with entertainment and interactive features from Sony. So I guess it will be kind of a self-driving car that will keep you entertained while you don't pay attention to the road, or at least that's the general idea. And if you're driving here in the Lower Mainland, you might want to keep your eyes on the road to avoid potholes. There's tons of them. Because of the snow and extreme cold over this past holiday season, hundreds of potholes, big serious ones, are being reported now that the temperatures have warmed up. Potholes are caused by regular freezing and then thawing, and they usually happen on older road surfaces. This year, the city received 339 service requests in the 10 days following the extreme cold. And that's a lot, but nothing compared to last year. In the 10 days after the extreme cold the previous holiday season, we saw nearly twice that, 646 requests for repairs. And if it's a typical pothole, they usually can repair it by filling it with hot asphalt, packing it down so that it's level with the road surface, and then adding a little bit of sand on top to prevent sticking. Potholes are pretty common this time of year. So keep an eye out. They can really do a number on your car. If you can't avoid them, the experts say don't jam on the brakes. Just reduce your speed to reduce the damage from the impact. And with things slowly getting back to normal at the airports, the big airlines are in full damage control with their reputations in tatters as thousands of travelers in Canada and the U.S. found themselves stranded over the holidays. I'm sure you saw it on the news. In the U.S., Southwest Airlines is probably getting the most negative attention. They are now doing whatever they can to repair Southwest's tarnished image after it canceled 15,000 flights around Christmas. The disruption started with a winter storm 
and then snowballed when Southwest's outdated cruise scheduling technology failed. Southwest told customers whose flights were canceled or significantly delayed over the holidays that they will now get 25,000 frequent flyer points on top of refunds and reimbursements. Let's see if the other airlines will step up and match that. An Iowa woman who was believed to be the oldest living person in the U.S. has died at the age of 115. Bessie Lorena Hendricks of Lake City, Iowa, died on Tuesday at the Shady Oaks Care Center. Hendricks celebrated her 115th birthday at the care home this past November and was listed as the oldest person living in the U.S. until her death. Uh, She was born in 1907. Hendricks was alive to witness the news of the sinking of the Titanic. She was there for World War I, World War II, the Great Depression, and both the Spanish flu and COVID-19. She was 115. So the oldest person in the U.S., and that's the oldest person in North America. Right now in Canada, the oldest living person here is Shiga Minashiba, who is 113 years old. And hopefully uh, they can make it to 115. This is Vancouver Consumer. And when we come back, some great insights into our real estate market from Dan Jones. He's with Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. We'll talk to him next. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. This is Martin Strong on CKNW, Vancouver Consumer, and the 2023 property assessments have been released online. If you own a home, you can see what that home is worth, or at least what's it, what is it? assessed value. And it's an important number, obviously, because it affects the amount of tax that you're going to pay. The only problem is that the figure released this week is based on values from last July. That was before interest rates started to rise, which really put a damper on housing prices. So is that fair? Well, it's an example of how real estate appraising can be tricky. And my next guest has dedicated his life to looking at appraising real estate in the Lower Mainland. He's Dan Jones, president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. And Dan is with me now. Hi, Dan. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm doing great. Happy New Year to you, too, Martin. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess this is kind of a a busy time for you. The appraisals come out and and this year uh, it's, it's a little bit controversial because like I say, the figures are based on last July and there's a big difference between last July and today, isn't there? Well, yeah, there is. Um, We, we talk about the segments of the market that have changed in this, uh, very heated Vancouver real estate market that we had in 2021 and 22, it peaked in around uh, late February, early March. And from that point, it just started to move in a downward direction because the interest rate hikes were just putting a lot of the activity on hold. And every single month that the real estate board releases its um, statistics, you see a reduction in the number of sales transactions. Uh, I think it was 50 50-some-odd percent, 53% or something uh, this last month compared to the year ago, December. Um, and, and, of course, then that translates to an increase, a large increase in the amount of listings that are out there. 
people trying to sell. So you you look at buyer demand, and buyer demand has fallen off drastically, um, and converted to the number of sales. How many sales transactions um, are there? Not very many, and uh, that has now converted to a, a change in market values. The market values are declining, and the benchmark price has come down quite a bit since July, probably um, probably in the 10% range, and, and that's a really generic guesstimate throughout the region because it might be 15% in Abbotsford, uh, out in the valley there, and it might might be very little in the Point Grey area or the or the North Van area. So right. um, overall, ten percent is kind of my my ballpark figure. That and having said that, you have to qualify it because you know when assessors value on a mass appraisal basis as opposed to a, a fee appraisal firm where they send a person out, and that person is direct directed on one single property and all of his or her attention is on that property for the analysis, similar to a realtor, they're just looking at your property, um, they have a much better idea of what the inventory of the house is, what the quality of the house is, uh, the quantity, uh, what, what what does the floor plan flow like, um, and what is, is the comparison to it out in the marketplace. Um, whereas the assessor's at a bit of a disadvantage because they're doing mass appraisal on inventory that might have actually been taken uh, possibly a, a decade or two ago if it's an older house. Um, right. You know, my background was as an assessor. I started um, in 1974 as an assessor for the Richmond Delta area, moved into Vancouver about five years later, and then came spent about three years there and then came back to Richmond until 1986. So the only thing that's changed uh, is the technology is vastly different now with computers and um, the city. The city's websites all have aerial photographs now. We can see what what is going on with the property by looking at a map on the city, and and it's all available to the public, of course. And BC Assessment is very transparent now. They have their website that you can look up your assessment. You can look up all the inventory that they have on your property. So. For example, you might want to reconsider your appeal if you look at the property in, uh, in question, your property, and you see, see that the basement's now finished with a suite. But you look at the assessor's records, and it maybe shows 150 square feet, for example, instead of 1,050. You might right. want to reconsider that appeal because the, the, the assessor has to send somebody out to view your property and do a walkthrough. And, you know, they're mandated to uh, do a proper assessment on it. They can't ignore um, specific items um, at your direction. They have to say, this property is worth this much, and I have to get an accurate inventory of the property, what's inside the home, what the property surroundings are like, what the amenities in the area and neighborhood are like. And um, that's when they really do more of a... Um, a personable, a personal attach to to getting uh, getting the value right. I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
Right. We're, we're talking to Dan Jones, business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound. They're real estate appraisers. You can find them online, campbell-pound.com. And uh, we're talking about uh, real estate appraisal because, uh, you know, this was the past week that uh, the real estate appraisals came out for everybody in the lower mainland. So how do you prepare an appeal if you think it's unfair, if, if you feel the value that they're saying your home is is out of whack? I guess the most common one is they say it's worth more than it should be or or I, I guess vice versa. But how do you prepare an appeal if your value is 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 out of sync in your mind? Sure, sure. And and, and the word out of sync is important too. And I, I, I think there's two specific items that the PARPs and I that that's short for Property Assessment Review Panel. These are independent panels that are set up uh, by the provincial government that are assigned to various cities and municipalities throughout BC, and they sit independently. And they are um, the realtor, the baker, the candlestick maker that works and is knowledgeable within that area, usually. They, they sit usually between the first week of February and the 15th of March. And your, if you put your appeal in, that is when the hearing date uh, will be determined, uh, somewhere in that range of dates. Um, but to start the process off, they wanna, they want, there's two things that are important. There's the market value. Can I sell the property uh, as of July 1st last year for the price that they said? So the word retrospectively comes to mind. We, we must think backwards a little bit. What was the market like in the summertime? Because that is the, the date that the assessor is legislated to, um, to determine the value by. So you may find that the market's fallen a lot more in the fall, uh, which it has, you know, from September until January here. Um, but the, the PARPs, the board members are, are mandated to look at July 1st. So that's important. That's market value. That's item number one. Item number two is equity. They have to look at it, keep equity amongst a neighborhood and amongst a, a municipality and amongst the region. Now, that's a really difficult thing to do when you're dealing with, oh, 10,000 parcels of uh, property or even 20 or 30,000. Um, I'm not sure how many there are in Vancouver. In Tawasson, for example, there's maybe 3,800 or 4,000 parcels, as an example. And they have to look at um, the 60-foot lot in, on your street should be valued pretty much the same as the 60-foot lot, seven or eight lots away from you. Um, and that's what we call mass appraisal. We're trying to keep equity. So each there's a different number assigned to the smaller lots, if it's got more depth or less depth, if it's a corner lot or an inside lot. And then there's all the little items that affect value of real estate. Is there an electrical hydro box sitting on your property that was not there when you bought the property? And that's another issue. We have people that apply for appeals, and they maybe are applying for something that was there in place, and they bought the property when it was already there. So they, you know, there's a pretty good chance that they included that when they purchased the property. But to get right to your question... Um, on the back of your assessment notice or the front, I'm not sure wh which way it is, there's, there's clear and direct instructions on how to launch the appeal. And they want you to uh, submit an email or a letter. It's usually an email these days. 
And that's all there instructed on the assessment notice. And it's also on their website, I might add, at uh, bcassessment.ca. And um, you would put together your email. Uh, They want to have the, I believe it's the legal description. They want to have the civic address notated so they know exactly which property you're looking at. If there's multiple properties, you need to do it uh, for each one of them. And then they want to have the grounds of appeal. And now the grounds of appeal can be very simplistic. It can be a one-sentence Um, I wish to appeal my 2023 assessment notice on the basis and grounds that I could not sell the property for the amount stated as of July 1st, 2022. It can be that simple. You don't have to get into explaining that the property next door sold for X number of dollars and it it's similar to mine or whatever you can uh, you, you they just want to they just want basic grounds because there's other other things besides value somebody might uh, appeal on equity and say you know I've got a 33 foot lot in in the east side of Vancouver located on Victoria Drive and right beside me is the identical property and his assessment is x number of dollars lower so that would be an appeal for equity. There's there's no consistency between um, the two assessments. I and, see. Uh, you know, and thirdly, there's there's another thing called classification, which is really not going to be happening that much for the residential property. Residential is a classification and determines how much the mill rate will be applied to the assessment in the spring when the cities and and municipalities determine how much the taxes will be needed for that area by budget, they will come up with a mill rate for residential properties. And then there are um, classifications for non-profit organizations that have a Class 8 property, seasonal and recreational. It'll have a different mill rate. And then, of course, there's commercial, and there's industrial, and there's major industrial. So they have all these classifications that are not really going to be um, related to the to our audience today, um, which is mostly interested in, in the single-family dwelling or the townhouse or the condo apartment. Mm-hmm. And and I guess uh, those are a lot of the people that uh, call Campbell and Pound and, and need your help. That's right. Uh, we get a phone call, and um, they're, they're interested... Uh, Sometimes it's twofold. They want to know. They really do want to know the value of the property, and they want to know if their assessment their assessment feels wrong, and they're not sure. So quite often we'll get the request to do the appraisal, and of course, I I always have this discussion with them. Like I know you can't sell the property today for that amount of money, but there is a possibility that the value has dropped more since July first to you know, January 2022. Right. And right. Uh, so in that case, we sometimes have, have folks want to have a valuation of both. So there's extra charge for that. We have we only do the one inspection, uh, site visit as we call it, and we do an inventory taking of what's on the property, what's around the property, what the impacts of value are, positive or negative. And then we put it all together back at the office in an analysis. But the date of appraisal is key. And we would do it as July 1st, 2022, if it's for assessment purposes. But as I say, some people say, well, I'd like to see also what it's worth today. Right, um, right. So they can see what the difference is. And uh, 
you know, that's usually a, a secondary charge um, that generally runs around 60, 65 or 70 percent of, of the original charge. And, and you know, you're, you're looking at probably, I'd say around $475 to can be as high as $1,000 if it's a very complex uh, waterfront property in West Vancouver that, you know, is seven or 8,000 square feet, for example. Right. right. We're, we're talking to Dan Jones. He's the business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. You can find them online, campbell-pound.com. And we've got more with Dan. We'll, we'll talk about where this market could be headed with interest rates on their way up. That's all when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. It's Vancouver Consumer, and we're talking real estate values with Dan Jones. He's the business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real estate appraisers you can find them online at campbell-pound.com and we were talking about the valuations that came out the real estate assessments that came out this week you go you can go online and find out exactly what your property is worth and the interesting thing is is those values are based on last july and things have changed quite a bit since then um, you know, it's, it's a new year. Interest rates are higher. Uh, the real estate market has cooled considerably. And I guess when people look at their assessments, it's always seemed to me like that number is always generally a little bit lower than what the prices of those homes are going for on the market. Is that generally true? Does that change? Uh, is it a cyclical thing or is it always slightly lower than the, the actual price? Well, it's it's a little of both. I mean, there are properties when you're doing a statistical analysis, what we call regression analysis. There's you're plotting all these sales that take place. The assessor's plotting all of them that take place within the given area, whether it's Burnaby or North Van or Vancouver or whatever, and they're trying to stay within the same classification of properties. So they would separate. Uh, you know, a condominium apartment or a condominium townhouse away from the single-family dwellings. And they would just look at that one class of property and say, here's all the single-family sales throughout the city and the region, and they would all be plotted on a map. Um, and the, the array of statistics um, would be analyzed, and they would be looking for uh, for what they call a tight coefficient of dispersion that's a that's a big word for um, for what is the uh, we use the word averages all the time and in 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 our life and and it's they like to think of the word median or midpoint and they're trying to find out where that median or midpoint is and they they plot all these sales on a on a into a graph and they draw a line through it so they can have usually have half the sales on one side of that line and the other half on the other side. And, and, and that's the midpoint of the median, the median uh, house, uh, what they call the HPI, the, the housing price index. And what the real estate boards do is they look at that, that benchmark price, um, which is currently around $1,114,000, in in the Vancouver area for December, and I mean, it was up and around 
uh, 1.8 million, I believe, back in in uh, November. It, it's come down approximately about 10% since then, and that's where I'm getting my 10% general number from. Um, that is all a combination of what's going on with listings, what the buyer demand is, and it's all all very very closely tied into the uh, seven of eight rate uh, interest rate hikes that we've we've seen over the last uh, ten to eleven months. Right. And um, you know, when when we look at assessments, um, everything has to be you know, in a perfect world. And what I mean by that is, is the inventory that the assessor has the same as what was on that property when it sold? So if a property sold for $1.2 million, as an example, um, was the basement inventory the same on the assessor's record as it is on the um, um, the property that sold? Um, have have there been improvements to the house or renovations that have taken place over the last uh, five or ten years or since a, an actual human was in that house? It's it's that old uh, uh, Gijo thing, uh, garbage in, garbage out. So if the information that the assessor has is is relative uh, and it's it's accurate, then you're going to see the assessors be much more uh, accurate within a region and. Yeah, the, the numbers should be very close to what you should be able to sell it for as of July 1st of 2022. But you've also got to look at we're in a market right now where you're hearing all this negative stuff and, you know, it's been sliding for, for a little while. I mean, it was sliding from from March until July, but it continued to go further down the hill Right, is where we're at. Yeah. We're talking to Dan Jones, business coordinator and president, Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. You can find them online, Campbell-Pound.com. And as you say, just kind of a ballpark guess and every every area is different. There is likely about a 10% difference between the value back in July when these assessments are were made and the value now. And when your house is assessed uh, 10% higher, that makes a big difference uh, to the amount of tax you pay, not just for the rate, but also whether you apply, whether you uh, qualify for the homeowner's grant. That's a big thing because a lot of people are right on the border because values have gone up so high. Um, they're right on the border of being able to get that homeowner grant or not. So I guess that's something that people are very concerned about. Yeah, well, it, it, it's, uh, it's a matter of, of the averaging. So when the assessors came out and said there's uh, likely a 15% overall difference between your assessment this year and your assessment last year, um, and, you know, they're looking at thousands and thousands of parcels of land, and they're looking at, you know, places like Ladysmith and um, Kelowna, like, like the whole province, and then it's broken down by region after that. But, you know, if they're, if they're telling you in Vancouver that it's that it's around a 15% uh, difference from the assessment last year, that doesn't mean the market's gone up 15%. Right? What they're saying is that that's what the assessment was last year versus the assessment that we're coming out with that you're looking at. And so if your assessment went up 10%, there's a good chance you'll, you'll uh, I mean, uh, we know that tax and taxes and death are, are certain. I, I <laughs> almost feel the same way about increasing taxes. I, I don't know many cities and municipalities that are going to leave their budget the same 
2023 as it was in 2022 with this inflation that's going on. But I'll guess that it's going to go up. So if the budget goes up, um, so do the taxes. And when the taxes go up, um, if you're within that range that the assessor talked to us about, that 10 to 15% range, then and you're you're around there, you'll probably be okay. You're going to get whatever they decided to increase their budget by. On the other hand, if your assessment went up 30% and they said it was an average of 15, there's a good chance that you're going to get hit with a tax, you know, a tax increase that's higher than what the uh, city is determining they're changing their budget by. Um, that can happen for a lot of reasons. That can happen for we get regions in our city or in our in our region that become more popular than others. Uh, I you know I read an article this morning about how the Fraser Valley increased at a higher rate than the urban areas uh, closer to the core of Vancouver. And the reason for that is maybe it's uh, there's hypotheses that it, there's a lot of people doing their at home. Uh, offices now they don't have to come into the offices as much they're looking for more space so if they buy a two-bedroom unit out in Abbotsford or Surrey uh, South Surrey they, they maybe get a thousand or eleven hundred square feet um, as opposed to Vancouver where it could be 750 to 850 square feet so they're looking for more space to grow their families and and to um, have what they consider a better quality of life and there was more of them doing it during during the the, the busy markets of 2021 2022 and that's mm-hmm. that's really what's happened yeah that's a real example of how the real estate market can be cyclical because it sort right. of seemed to me uh, anecdotally like when covid hit uh, like you say, the, the places out in the Fraser Valley, they started to, to really heat up because people found they could they could move further out and work from home. And then as COVID kind of uh, started started to slow down and fade away, uh, it seemed like the, the hardest hit areas were the suburban areas, the, the far reaching areas. And then the the more downtown core markets started to heat up a little bit. So it's really interesting to me. And and Dan, you've been um, doing this, as you mentioned, since the 70s. Campbell and, pa- Campbell and Pound has been doing it since 1939, which That's is amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you've seen it all. You've seen all the, the different cycles and are you is this uh just par for the course for you or do you think this is a once in a generation kind of cycle what what's your feeling on the market in the lower mainland these days well the feeling is we're in a down market and we're um you know we talk about recessions coming i think in the real estate market i think we're in one um we're in one because the buyer demand has fallen off we've got restrictions on our market such as no foreign buyers for the next two years. Uh, we've got speculation taxes in place. Um, all of these things in, um, that are happening were not as devastating to the market as the interest rate hikes. I mean, people are faced with basically a doubling of their monthly payments to uh, if, if their mortgage came up for renewal or the during this last sort of six, seven or eight months, they're probably faced with a very, very high change in their mortgage payment. 
Uh, you add to that this inflation that we've been dealing with uh, between the six and eight percent inflation rate, and it's 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 a difficult uh, time for everybody out there, um, you know, all middle class. Uh, um, families, uh, lower class, you know, it doesn't matter what class you're in, you're, you're finding things a lot more expensive. And, um, you know, business is tougher and all the rest of it. So having said that, um, you know, I just look at every single month, we see a big reduction in the number of sales that are taking place. And Vancouver, for example, last month, they uh, only 29,000 properties sold. That's, that's a reduction of 34%. A year ago, there was 44,000 properties that sold during the month of December. That's wow. just, just one example. Um, and as I say, the benchmark price has been going down. I, I think we're, we're looking at, you know, around a 20% per annum reduction, 15 to 20% reduction in property values, you know, from a year ago, right? Wow. And, um, and that's something. And it's still going, so I don't know when it stops. Now, having said that, I did a lot of studying on uh, all the various recessions that we've had. We've had a lot of recessions in uh, not not that many, but we've had. I think there's been 34 of them since 1850. But the ones of, <laughs> the, the ones that are of, of of great significance are probably the the one that people think about the most is 1980 and 81, oh, when yeah. we went into the 20 and 22 percent interest rate uh, range, and. I looked at all the uh, other recessions. We had the, the recession of 1990 when George Bush invaded Kuwait. Um, and you, we had 2000, the failure of the banks in 2008. All those had different reasons for recession than what we're faced with now, except for 1981. 1981, the inflation rate was around 11.4%. And the average mortgage rate, believe it or not, back then was around 12 13%. Wow, I remember so, that. I, yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's in, incredible. Well, but then you're, well, buying, Dan, a we're, proper, we're, you're buying a property for $400,000, so it, it, it's a single family dwelling, and that, you know, paying 12 or 13% was within the means of most people's um, salaries right. or, or, or uh, revenue production. It's a Having little different that, now. Yeah, so what happened is, is the rates went up to 20, 22% to choke off inflation and then made their way back down again. Um, we were just living in such a low interest rate period that, I mean, many, many, many people talked about it. It, it can't go on forever. It's, it's going to have to change, and, it, and it's, it's making the change now, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Dan. We're out of time. Uh, Dan Jones is the business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Uh, go to campbell-pound.com. Always interesting. Thanks, Dan. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. When, when we come back, should you be afraid of a shark attack in the waters off the coast of Vancouver? Probably not, but they have happened. In fact, today is the 98th anniversary of a shark attack in the waters just under the second Narrows Bridge. I'll tell you about that when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. Martin Strong with you on CKNW. And when you think of shark attacks, you don't usually think of Vancouver. Extremely rare, but they have happened. In fact, it was on this day in 1925, January 7th, when a diver 
claimed he was attacked and had to kill a shark in Burrard Inlet. The next day, the Vancouver province headline read, John Bruce kills sea monster 90 feet underwater. Well, according to that diver, John Bruce, he was working uh, underneath the water near the Second Narrows Bridge. He was inspecting water mains. This was 1925, so he was wearing one of those big diving helmets while a hose ran up to the surface so he could breathe. Bruce says it was early in the afternoon when he saw a very large shadow and then a shark more than six feet long attacked him. He says he fought the shark off for 15 minutes. He says as it came near, he would punch it. He even hit it on the nose with an iron bar that he had previously used to ward off large octopuses or octopi. I'm not sure how you say it. Anyway, John Bruce was a tough dude. He serviced with the British Navy during World War I, and he did this type of diving all over the world. He described the shark battle to the newspaper this way. He said the first time he hit the shark, it, quote, made him furious and started the music, (laughs) unquote. He went on to say, I gave him the next one over the head and stunned him, and two more finished him off. But I had to signal for more air. Make no mistake, I was fagged with the pressure at that depth, unquote. I guess that means he was tired and running out of oxygen. According to the newspaper, Bruce then attached the dead shark to the line, and they both surfaced at the same time. The shark was then hauled up onto a nearby dock, drawing a pretty big crowd before it was eventually destroyed. And that's his story anyway, but there are some doubters of that account. According to marine conservation biologist, Dr. David Schiffman, who studies sharks at Simon Fraser University, the idea of a 15-minute battle with a shark in the Burrard Inlet doesn't really hold water. He told the Vancouver Sun newspaper in 2014 that while it's totally possible that Bruce encountered a large shark, There are 28 species of sharks found in Canadian waters, including some dangerous ones. It's unlikely that any shark would put up a 15-minute fight with a diver. Schiffman says that's not the way sharks work. When it comes to human shark attacks, the people usually never see it coming. The shark comes out of nowhere, takes a quick bite, and then realizes that humans are not the kind of food that they want, and then they take off. So a 15-minute fight might work in a movie, but not in real life. Schiffman also says he doesn't see how a shark could be killed by an iron bar underwater. A shark moves way too quickly for that. But the story was it both uh, in the Sun and Province newspapers, so, so who knows? As far as I know, no photo of the dead shark from 1925 exists, even though it was displayed on the dock for hours. A lot of people took a look and they reported that this shark was over six feet long, but I guess not enough iPhones around back then in 1925. Nobody thought to snap a selfie with it. So what kind of shark was it? According to Schiffman, he figures it could have been a blunt-nosed six-gill shark. That is the biggest species of shark that people regularly encounter in the waters off the Pacific Northwest. And this wasn't the first shark attack to happen off the coast of Vancouver either. 20 years earlier, in 1905, Harry Menzies was bit bitten in False Creek by what was reported to be an 1,100-pound shark. Back then, the shark was only identified in the paper 
as a, quote, genuine man-eating Hawaiian variety. And it also happened very quickly. The shark took off and Menzies survived. So I guess the bottom line is there are sharks here in the lower mainland, but they don't generally want anything to do with you. The Department of Fisheries and Oceans Canada has documented 14 species of sharks swimming in the coastal waters off BC, from the tiny two-foot brown cat shark to the mammoth 33-foot basking shark. But don't panic about the basking shark. It can get to be more than 30 feet long, but it only eats plankton. And I think it barely has teeth. So unless you're wearing a plankton bathing suit, I guess you're safe. Also included in the list of 14 BC sharks, though, is the great white shark the up to 19-foot monster with its triangle-shaped serrated teeth does occasionally venture into BC waters, but the DFO admits it's very rare when the big fish makes its way up here from the warmer California waters. And it's wild to think that some of the biggest great white sharks in the world can be found off the coast of San Francisco, but luckily they are way off the coast. And if you're still afraid of sharks, Consider this quote from Nick Dolvey, a professor at SFU who specializes in studying sharks. He's the current Canada Research Chair in Marine Biodiversity and Conservation. He says there are more people killed by falling television sets each year than there are people killed by shark attacks. I'm Martin Strong, and this is Vancouver Consumer. Coming up, have you noticed the nine o'clock gun at Stanley Park has been surprisingly quiet of late? I'll tell you why when Vancouver Consumer continues right after the CKNW News. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.